If you have your Bible with you this morning, we're turning to a few verses in the New Testament uh, before we go into the Old Testament. If you turn with me, please, to John's Gospel, uh, chapter 20. John's Gospel, chapter 20. And if you cast your eye to verse 19, John's Gospel, chapter 20, and then verse 19. And if you have any children this morning and if they're crying in the meeting, there's there's a crash at the back, there's room at the side, don't be embarrassed if you have to go out. Uh, those facilities are there for you, and the messages are relayed in there as well, so you can use those facilities uh, if you need to. John's Gospel, chapter 20, and verse 19. Then the same day at even, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled together for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands on his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now come with me over to Matthew's Gospel, please. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 28. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 28. And then we're going over to the book of Genesis. And you'll be able to leave your Bible open there. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. And down to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now come with me over to the book of Genesis, the first book of your Bible, please. And Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, please. And you'll be able to leave your Bible uh, open there. Genesis chapter 16. And then give me your attention. One of the cries in many quarters today, indeed in many hearts here this morning, is for something of a revival and an awakening among the people of God. Not only collectively, but individually. One only has to sit in the prayer meetings during the week and a frequent prayer that is cried is, Lord, uh, revive us again. Lord, breathe a fresh breath from heaven upon our soul. Something from that breath of God, where there's that endowment of power and blessing and joy, where lives are changed, where souls are saved, where chains are broken where strongholds are dismantled and where the kingdom of God advances again. I'm sure that's maybe the cry of many here this morning. Lord, revive us again. Lord, revive me again. Well, I want to bring a word of warning this morning because I feel in maybe in these days that we can have an off-balance view of revival. So often that we can see revival as some mystical phenomena that moves and happens among the people of God and can forget that a real revival and a real awakening is nothing more and nothing less than when Christ comes and gets center place among the people of God. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ gets the preeminence among his people, whenever he comes and takes the center position, Whenever he comes with his power, whenever he comes with his presence, whenever he comes in his blessing, because whenever he is in the midst, I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, we will know something of revival blessing. It was Robert Murray McShane, that young man of a bygone day who was mightily used by the Lord. He said, if we want to live in a state of revival, if we want to live in the blessing of God on a daily basis, he said we need to live in daily consideration 
of the greatness of Christ. Let me say it again. If we want to live in a personal revival, if we want to live in the blessing of God, we have to live in daily consideration of the greatness of Christ. When it's not only revival, but it's the reviver. When it's not just souls, but it's the Savior. When it's not just blessing that we're looking for, but it's the blesser himself whenever he comes. I tell you, dear men and women, that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And here in John's Gospel, chapter 20, that we read a short time ago, it says, when the disciples saw him, they were glad. Whenever he was in the center, whenever he had the preeminence, whenever he was the center of attention, whenever he was the focal point, there was joy and gladness among the people of God. Wasn't that what happened at Ephesus? The place that was born in revival fire. Way back in the book of Acts, there you'll discover in Acts 19 that they had a bonfire and they brought out all of their curious arts and their witchcraft books and they burnt them. And Christ was the center position, the one who blessed them and saved them and changed them and liberated them. They were in love with him. But whenever you come to the last, last book of your Bible, in Revelation chapter 2, there was that pronunciation from the Lord himself. He said, ye have left your first love. They became mechanical. They went through the routine. They went through the formality. They went through all of the ticking of the boxes and crossing their T's and dotting their I's. But they had lost that vital love for the Lord that they once had. I wonder, can you identify with that this morning? Of course, the church at Laodicea was the same. The one who used to stand in the midst, the one who was within the church, at Laodicea, he was outside knocking on the door. The one who used to be in blessing was now outside knocking. The one who was in the center is no longer in the center. He's outside, forgotten, laid aside. And I wonder this morning, maybe even many in this congregation and listening to me across internet or CD, I wonder, have you lost your love? For the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder have you lost that passion for him. That love for him that would warm your soul. Whenever he draws you with cords of love. With the cords of a man. It was Duncan Campbell. That man that was used mightily in the Hebrides revival. For a few years he went into the ministry. He said that he stepped out of the will of God. He was still preaching. He was still praying. But he lost that love for Christ that he used to have. One morning at four o'clock in the morning, he could hear singing in the house. And he got up and went downstairs and it was his young daughter, only a young girl. She wasn't even a teenager yet. And she was singing the praises of God. And Duncan Campbell said to her, he said, why are you up so early? And that young girl could say to Duncan Campbell, she said, Daddy, isn't it lovely just to be with him? Isn't it lovely, Daddy, just to get up in the early morning and spend time with the Savior? It was those words that pricked the heart of Duncan Campbell and set him on fire again as he went home from a meeting and lay before God for a fresh love and a fresh passion for Christ. And the Lord took him up and used him in revival again. Lost the love and lost the passion. It was Peter who said that those words, whom having not seen, ye love. And then the Apostle John, he went on and says, we love him. Because he first loved us. But you know the psalmist in Psalm 116. He came and was so personal. And he said not only do you love him. And not only do we love him. He said I love him. I love him. I love the Lord. And I want to say this morning dear friends. No matter how hard we try. No matter how far we go on in the Christian experience. If our love for Christ grows cold, we'll grow barren. Our Christian experience will become stale, fruitless, passionless, and loveless. And I want to draw your attention this morning to see him, just him. That was the words of the apostle whenever they said, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, just to see him this morning. Just to rekindle that love for him again that you maybe used to have. 
to rekindle that passion for him that used to get you into the study in the morning, that used to get you down on your knees in the morning with the open Bible to spend time in fellowship and communion with him. Now, one of the most lovely ways to see the Lord Jesus is to see him before he came to Bethlehem. Because there's times throughout the Old Testament when the Lord Jesus himself came in pre-incarnate appearances to men and women where he revealed himself to individuals. And the prayer of my heart has been for this meeting that God would reveal himself to individuals. That the Lord Jesus Christ would come and manifest himself to us this morning. Not just information, not just a spiritual lecture, not just something to pass the hour, but to see him in all of his beauty, in all of his power. In Genesis chapter 16, if you cast your eye to verse 6, you know the story well. The story of Hagar. And Hagar was that Egyptian maid that was abused and abused. And you remember how Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to have a child. And it wasn't the will of God. They moved too quick. And friend, this morning, whatever decision you have to make during the week, don't move too quick. Don't go out by haste nor by flight. Just sit still and wait upon the Lord. Because Abraham and Sarah, they moved too quick. They went ahead of God and they made their own decision. Now if you cast your eye to verse 6, at the end of verse 6 it says, And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. You can see this young Egyptian woman in the house of Abraham and Sarah. She's been used and she's been abused. And now she's being dealt hardly with by the people of God. Do you know, dear friends, this morning, Christians in this meeting, woe be Titus if we deal hardly with people. Woe be Titus if we deal harshly and arrogantly with men and women. Because that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah they did. In verse 6, that word to deal hardly with, it's the word to humiliate. I wonder, have you ever humiliated anybody? I wonder, have you ever used anybody as a, as a central point to humiliate them? Well, that's exactly what Sarah and Abraham did. It's not only the word to humiliate, it's the word to afflict. It also means to hurt. It's the words that the Holy Ghost used in Psalm 105 concerning Joseph whenever he was in prison. It says they hurt his feet with fetters. I wonder, have you hurt anyone? Wondering the week that has gone past, have you said something about someone or to someone and you've humiliated them? Maybe they get a response in front of a crowd. Maybe they get a laugh from a family member. And you've not only humiliated them, but you've hurt them and you saw it in their face whenever you said that thing. It's not only the word to humiliate and hurt, it's the word to bruise. It was John Gills, that man of God, who said that word actually means to wound with words. And then to go on and to strike with the hand. Now you wouldn't say to me this morning, that doesn't happen among the people of God, because I can tell you today it does. I can tell you that the people of God can deal hardly with men and women. Can deal harshly and humiliate them. And abuse them. And wound them. And not only to wound them with words, but to strike them with the hand. And this young woman, this young Egyptian maid, she had enough. Now I wonder, have you got to the place in your life where you've had enough? Where you've had enough of the attacks of the enemy? Where you've had enough of the ridicule of family members and you can take no more? Because I can tell you that's exactly where Hagar was. You cast your eye to the end of verse 6. It says, she fled from her face. She took to her heels. She was at breaking point. She was at wit's end corner. She could bear no more. And she ran away from Abraham and Sarah, away out into the wilderness. She was despised and distressed and in despair. She was afflicted, afraid and alone. She was wounded and weary and worried. 
burdened, bruised and broken. I wonder if I was to ask you to stand to your feet this morning, if that description suits you, I wonder who would stand. Wounded, weary, I'm worried, like a broken vessel at the end of my tether. She had a child in her womb. She had tears in her eyes. And she had doubts in her mind. And she went away out into the wilderness and she could have said like the psalmist, no man cares for my soul. And I'm convinced even here this morning as God is speaking to individuals, there's men and women here just like that. Behind the smile and behind the facade and behind amen and hallelujah. Down in your soul, you've had enough. You're just at breaking point. You can just about take no more. Now cast your eye to verse 7. It says there in verse 7 in the middle of it that she went out into the wilderness by a fountain in the way of Seir. Now that place by the name of Seir, it was just in the border of Egypt. I want you to listen to this this morning. Because here was a woman and she was at breaking point. She had had enough and she fled from the people of God and she was going back to the place where God brought her out from. God brought this young woman out from Egypt. That's a picture of the world. And she has had enough and she's going to go back. And I wonder, is that where you are this morning in your Christian experience with all of the battles and with all of the fights and with all of the attacks of the enemy? You say to yourself, well, Stephen, you know, it was easier to go back to the world than it is to stand and fight. I didn't seem to have the same afflictions then as I have now. I just want to go back again and I want to, I want to rest in my laurels. I want to go back. Well, that's where Hagar wanted to go. She wanted to go back to from where God had called her out from. She wanted to go back to Egypt. She wanted to go back to the world. Is that you this morning? Maybe you've already gone back in your heart and you've lost that love and passion for him way back into Egypt where the pool of the world has got your attention and your heart, where you could take no more. Now, it was at just that very time, at that very place, just on the border of Egypt, if she'd have taken another few steps, she'd have been back. She was just on the border. She was just on the border, just ready to go back. It was at that very time, and at that very place, cast your eye to verse 7 at the start, it says, and the angel of the Lord found her. Now that's the first mention of the angel of the Lord in the Bible. And this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus himself. This is him now. This is the one that the disciples would see in the upper room. And when they saw him, they were glad. This is him that appeared to Hagar, just on the border, just at breaking point, where she was wounded and bruised and despised and forgotten and alone. Thank God the Lord Jesus appeared. And here he comes, and he meets her at the very point of her need. Now, I don't know what your need is this morning. I don't know, maybe the need is maybe in your home, or maybe the need's in your mind, maybe the need's in your soul. I don't know what your, your need is. But I can tell you the one that met Hagar away out in the wilderness just at the border of Egypt can meet your need this morning. He can meet you at the very point of your need. She wasn't looking for him. But he was looking for her. And you know, dear sinner, if you're in this meeting this morning and you're not saved, let me tell you, you may not be looking for him. But he's looking for you. I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. That day away down in Listen's Ski in 2010, drawing my last straws from a regal filter, I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't looking for him, but I'm glad he was looking for me. I'm glad he sought me and he found me. And if you're in this meeting this morning and you're not saved, he's after you. He wants you. And this morning he's found you. You see that word found there in verse 7? It's the word to take hold of. It's the word to touch. A fresh touch, Lord. To get a fresh touch of the Master's hand. One old rendering of that, I love it. It says, he was enough for her. 
I tell you, dear friends, this morning, whenever you get into the relationship with the Lord, whenever you see the Lord Jesus for who he is, I'll tell you he'll be enough. He'll satisfy the longing of your soul. He'll fill your heart with wonder. He'll fill your mouth with praise. This woman was away out in the wilderness, the place of barrenness and the place of death. No life. And you know, there's many Christians like that this morning. No life, no passion, no power, no vision, no love. Way out in the wilderness by a fountain. You know, she wasn't looking for him. And I said he was looking for her. She came to the well and the fountain of living water found her. The fountain of living water. You remember what the word of God says, that the broken cisterns can never satisfy. The poet said, I tried the broken cisterns. But oh, the waters fail. And those of us that were in the world, we tried to drink, we tried to drugs, we tried all the pleasures of this world. But I want to tell you that day that we found him, he satisfied the longing of our soul. He gave us love and a passion and a satisfaction in our soul that the things of the world could never give. He didn't just give us one well. He gave us the wells of salvation and we can drop our bucket down and we can draw from the well of salvation peace and joy and assurance and victory and deliverance. Whatever he does, he does it well. And he found her. I'll tell you this woman, Hagar, if she knew the words of the hymn, she could have sang, in tenderness he sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders brought me back to the fold again. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold. The wondrous grace that brought me to the fold. I wonder, are you in the fold? I wonder, have you met him? I wonder, are you saved this morning? I wonder, have you had enough of the broken cisterns of the world and you would need to come to the fountain of living water? And a few years later, maybe 2,000 years later, this same man... The pre-incarnate Lord, whenever he came flesh, he leant on a well at Syker's well in the heat of the day and there was another woman there and she was despised and forgot about her relegated from society and the Lord must needs go through Samaria just for that one woman. The love of God. And this morning you're not here by accident. God has brought you here by the way of the wilderness to meet you. To meet the need in your life. The fountain of living water. Now if you cast your eye to verse 13. It says, And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God, seest me. For she, for, for, for thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also looked on him that seeth me. Now the real rendering of that verse of scripture should be like this. I have seen him who always sees me. Here was this woman, get the picture in your mind, used and abused, wounded, weary, alone, afflicted, afraid, and she's standing away out in the wilderness, ready to go back into the world, ready to go back into Egypt, and she says, I have seen him who always sees me. And you know, dear people of God, this morning, let me tell you, he always sees us. He sees you at work. He sees you at home. He sees you in the church. He sees what you whenever you're out and about. He, he's the one who always sees. He's the one who saw Nathaniel under the juniper. He was the one that saw Zacchaeus up a tree. We cannot hide from him. All things are open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now the question I want to ask you this. What did she see in him that day? What was it Hagar saw in the pre-incarnate Christ? What was it that she got a glimpse of whenever she said, I have seen him who always sees me? What was it that stood out to this young woman, Hagar? What was it that we can glean from this morning? Well, I'll tell you what I think it was. I think Hagar discovered something of the goodness of the Lord. I tell you, it was the goodness that sought her. It was the goodness of God that knew her. It was the goodness of God that found her. It was the goodness of God that stopped her. Do you remember whenever you were going to make that decision and he stopped you? Do you remember, sir, whenever you were maybe going to go into a relationship and God stopped you? He was good. Maybe you were contemplating suicide. 
Maybe you're involved in some act of self-harm and you're about to go too far. And he stopped. I'll tell you, that was the goodness of God. But not only was it the goodness of God that saw her and found her and stopped her, it was the goodness of God that blessed her. And I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, I'm glad that I'm saved because the Lord, he blesses the people of God. Every day, the blessing of God, it maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. The blessing of God. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you appreciate the goodness of the Lord? Do you appreciate what the Lord has done for us? Because there's not much use in us asking him to do more for us if we don't already appreciate what he's already done. The word of God says, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and his forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. This Psalm 107 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. The Lord has been good to us. The Lord has blessed us. Think of the family that he's given to. Think of the roof over your head and the food in your belly and the clothes on your back. Think of the bills that he's paid. Think of the health that he's given. Think of this assembly that he's brought you to. And the Lord has been good seven times in the Bible. You'll get that little phrase, the Lord is good. I'm glad that he's good. We used to sing a wee chorus years ago, God is good. All the time and all the time, God is good. The goodness of God. The goodness of God at Calvary. Whenever you see him there with a crown of thorns on his head and his back like a ploughed field, bearing shame and scoffing root, in my place, condemned he stood. I tell you, it was the goodness of God. It was the goodness of God, sir, that saved you out of the world. It was the goodness of God that delivered you from drink and sin and religion and immorality. It was all the goodness of God. The Lord is good and greatly to be praised. And if you're in this meeting this morning and you're not saved, let me tell you, God has been good to you. If you cast your eye on down there for a moment to verse 9. In verse 9 it says, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return. That word return there three times in your Bible, it's translated the word repent. Repent. Do you know, dear sinner, in this meeting, if you're on your way to a lost sinner's hell where the flames of hell are licking your feet already, here's a word from the the Savior to your soul. Repent. Repent. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. But it's not only the word to repent, it's also the word to restore. And I'm convinced this morning that even in this house, there's men and women and you need to be restored. There is a day whenever you're on fire for God, but you're not on fire now. There is a day when you're in love with him, but you're not in love with him now. There is a day when God was real, but he's not real now. And the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, repent and return. Go back. I wonder if you have anybody to go back to. I wonder is there somebody that you slandered with your tongue and you'd need to go back. And just like Abraham and Sarah, you've hurt them and wounded them and humiliated them. And here's a word from the Son of God to your soul. Go back. Go back if you pay somebody money. Go back if you've told a lie about them. You know, whenever I got saved... And I was working for a man over in Dungannon. And I remember whenever I left the job, God really convicted my heart that I didn't work for that man as unto the Lord. I was there, but I didn't didn't do it as unto the Lord. And I remember I had to write a letter, and I went round to his home. He goes to the Free Presbyterian Church up the road. And I knocked his door, and I said, Sir, let me tell you, I'm sorry. I I need to ask for forgiveness that I didn't work for you as unto the Lord. You know what that's called? That's called going back. There's a woman up the road from me I told a lie about. And I remember I was saved on my way to heaven now. Saved. No longer drinking, no longer smoking. But I had to go back and tell her I told a lie about you. Go back. Friend, if you want a personal revival and awakening and the blessing of joy in your soul, there's some of us here this morning and you'll need to go back. You see that place, sir, it's not only in the border, but you know what it's called? It means wall. Have you hit a brick wall? 
Now, God's talking to some of you this morning. If you hit a brick wall, and no matter how long you pray or how much you read, you don't seem to be gaining ground, well, maybe you need to go back before you go forward. And here was this young woman. She got a vision of the goodness of the Lord. I tell you, that ought to kindle a love in her heart for him, the goodness of God. I was singing this morning as I was coming over in the road. He found me with a burden and he lifted it from me. He found me bound and fettered and he gave me liberty. He found me in the darkness and he caused the sun to shine. And you wonder why I love him and call him friend of mine. I love him this morning because of his goodness. I love him. I wonder do you love him? But not only is there the goodness of the Lord we need to get a fresh vision of. I want you to come in your mind this morning. And we're going to look at a man and he's a well educated man. The Bible says that he was learned in all of the ways of the Egyptians. The Bible says of Moses that whenever he came of age he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And you remember Moses 40 years in Egypt, 40 years out in the wilderness looking after Jethro's sheep. He saw sun and sand and sheep just another humdrum day And it was one day away out in the backside of the wilderness, way over by Mount Horeb, it says the angel of the Lord appeared unto Moses. This is him now. This is the one that appeared unto Hagar. This is the one that was going to be born in the manger in Bethlehem. This is the one that they were going to kneel to the cross. This is the one that they were going to strip and despise. He came to Moses away out in the wilderness of Horeb and he appeared unto him in in, in the burning bush. You remember it says of Moses that he, he turned aside to see this great sight. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and he said, Come not hither. Take off the shoes from off thy feet. For the ground upon which thou standest is holy ground. And you ask me the question, Stephen, what was it that Moses saw in the Lord that we would need to see? What was it that day away out in the backside of the wilderness minding a few sheep? What was it that he saw? Well, I'll tell you what he saw. Because it wasn't just the goodness of the Lord that he saw. I tell you, dear men and women, it was the holiness of the Lord. The holiness of the Lord. He discovered something of the purity and power of Christ. Wasn't that what the angels said to Mary? Away in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. That holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He's holy. Whenever the Lord Jesus came to the demoniac of Gadara, the, the demons, over 2,000 demons, they said, We know thee who thou art, the Holy One. Whenever Paul was writing, he said, That he's holy, harmless, and undefiled. There's four creatures, angelic beings, it says in Revelation, who cease not day nor night to say of the Lord Jesus that he's holy, holy, holy. And I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, if you and I want to go through with God, and you and I want a personal and individual and a collective revival, we'll not only need to feed ourselves in the goodness of God, but we'll need to recapture again something of the holiness of the Lord. Because whenever Moses saw, whenever Moses saw the sight, you know what it says? It says he was afraid. The fear of God gripped his soul. That's the word for reverence and awe. There's not much reverence today. There's not much fear of God today. There's not much reverence for the Holy One today. And you and I as the people of God, at least four men said to me during the week, we need again a baptism of the fear of God. Where we'll fear to wound Him. Where we'll fear to grieve Him. Where we'll fear to sin against Him. I tell you, dear men and women, we've become too chummy with Jesus. So chummy. We've lost that awe. 
That reverence, I tell you, would you have come to this house this morning if you had the fear of God the way you did? Would you have talked about the things in the car park that you talked about if you came with the fear of God? Would you have talked about the things that you spoke about on the very pew this morning before I got up and opened the word if there was a fear of God? Oh, we can point at the word and we can say there's no fear of God among them, but let me tell you, it's us. It's us. To have a fear, to walk gently, like a cat walking circumspectly, to walk every day, every decision that you make, every word that we say, every thought that we... To walk lest we we hurt God, fear Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I heard a preacher recently at a youth meeting, he said this, he said the Lord Jesus is the new lad on the block. Let me tell you, dear friends, this morning, the Lord Jesus is no lad on the block, but I'll tell you, he's a Lord on the throne. He's a Lord on the throne. To have something of the fear of God in her soul, whenever Jacob was at Bethel, whenever the presence of the Lord manifests himself, the first mention of the house of God in the Scriptures, it says Jacob was afraid. Afraid. To come to the house of God with fear. And I done a series in there a few years ago on the house of God. And let me tell you this, dear friends. Whenever men and women come to the house of God without the fear of God, it's one of the most dangerous places you can be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll discover that there were some who came to the house of God and they 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 died because they were living in sin. The fear of God. For God to come down. My, that man, Elijah, you'll remember whenever he saw the Lord, he wrapped his face in the mantle. The fear of God. Let me tell you, sir, you wouldn't watch those things that you're watching during the week if you had the fear of God. You wouldn't do those things in your textbook the way that you've signed out your form if you had the fear of God. You wouldn't look at another woman the way you're looking at other women if you had the fear of God. To fear him. To stand in awe of him and sin not. That's exactly what Moses saw. You go through the Acts of the Apostles and you mark that wee phrase, the fear. It says that there was great fear and then there was great blessing. The fear of the Lord, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. This is him now. And I know at times we talk about gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I know we look at the babe in the manger and say, isn't he lovely? But let me tell you, this is the same man that came into the temple with a little scourge in his hand made out of cords and he cleansed the temple twice in his ministry. Overturned the tables, drove out the money changers, full of holiness and purity. This is the same one that John saw on the Isle of Patmos and his eyes were like fire. The one that his feet were like burnished brass in an oven. The one whose head and hair were as white as snow and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun and his strength. This is Jesus that John lay his head upon the bosom of the Lord and he said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. The fear of God gripped his soul. This is the one that Malachi could say he's described as a refiner's fire and as a fuller's soap. And who shall abide the day of his coming? This is the one in Revelation chapter 6 where we read about the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks and called upon the mountains to fall upon them and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, whenever we get a baptism of fear like that, we'll go places with God. Whenever we see him in all of his majesty and power, this is the one in Revelation chapter 20. It says, And the heavens and the earth fled away from his face, and there was found no place for them. This is the the one that every dead sinner will stand resurrected before him. They'll come out of the sea and out of the grave. And they'll stand regal before him. And he'll open the books. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the one that Paul could say his name is above every name. 
At his name every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I tell you, Hitler's going to bow. Mussolini will be bowed. All the atheists and the agnostics will bow. Every demon of hell will bow. The devil himself will bow. And out of their, out of their mouth will come this confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. The one who died on the cross, he's Lord. And I tell you, dear sinner, in this meeting this morning, let me tell you this. You may laugh at God now, and you may mock him now, but you see that day whenever you're standing before the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and his eyes are like fire, and you mocked him and derided him and rejected him all of your life, let me tell you this. There'll be no laughing that day. There'll be no laughing that day. This is him. This is the one that Hagar saw. This is the one that Moses saw. The exalted Savior, the Lord of glory, the Lamb of God. And yet to think of all of that, the one that has pure eyes and can behold evil and can't not even look upon iniquity. To think that he died for me. To think that he was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. To think of that Holy One, the Lamb of God, the Lord of glory, the exalted Savior, let men spit on him to save me. Let men mock him to save you, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing. I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, whenever we discover something of that, the holiness of God and the purity of Christ. And we have a reverence and fear in our heart and we give him the rightful place. And we put work to the side and we put money making to the side and we get the Lord Jesus right in the center. I tell you, whenever he's in the center, revival will be the circumference. Whenever he gets the preeminence in our life, whenever he, uh, we revolve around him, Whenever he is the exalted place in all of our hearts, the one who died for me. The word of God says, let us therefore go on to the, out without the camp, bearing his reproach. And you know, dear men and women, this morning, let me tell you something. I love him because he first loved me. And purchase my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. My, I, if ever I love thee, my Jesus is now. That's him. That's him. You can see him there in all of his goodness. You can see him there in all of his holiness. I want you to come over with me quickly to the book of Zechariah. Just before you come over into the New Testament, the book before the last book of your Old Testament is the prophecy of his Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 3, the children of Israel have come out of Babylon under the hand of Ezra. They're being instructed from the word of God and it was at that very time that Zechariah had this vision in chapter 3 and cast your eye to verse 1. And, it's, and it says, And he showed unto me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. This is him now. This is the one that was coming to Bethlehem. This is the one that was going to be nailed to the cross. This is the Son of God. He showed me the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And if you cast your eye on down to verse 3 and it says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now I want you to see this as we come to a close. Here is this man of God. This was Joshua the high priest. And he's standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was going to be born of the Virgin Mary, the pre-incarnate Christ. And the Word of God says that his garments were filthy. There was sin in his life. Do you know, dear men and women, this morning, that's exactly what you and I need to do. We need to search ourselves in the light of the Lord. 
Because Joshua didn't know that he was unclean. But the Lord knew. And you can see here the filthiness of the servant. Joshua was filthy. His garments were stained and soiled. The Bible says, keeping yourself unspotted from the world, to be pure and holy, a vessel sanctified unto meat, and ma- sanctified unto honor, meat for the master's use. But not only is there the filthiness of the servant, if you cast your eye to verse 1, you'll see Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And you know, dear men and women, whenever you and I are not clean, whenever you and I are not living close to the Lord and holy lives, let me tell you this, the devil has a right to resist us. The devil didn't even have to say a word here. He just stood to oppose and to accuse. And you can see the situation is dire. And maybe that's where you are this morning. The devil has you in a corner and you know he's right. And there's sin in your life and you say, well, I don't even feel worthy this morning. But this is what I want to get your eyes onto because there's not only the filthiness of the servant and not only the fierceness of Satan. Thank God there's the faithfulness of the Lord. The Lord is faithful. If you cast your eye on down there for a moment and you'll see in verse 2, the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee. And I'm glad at times in our Christian life, many times during the week, whenever the Lord steps in and defends us, he's a great defender. He comes to fight on our behalf. He's the great man of war, the captain of our salvation. And he's marked by faithfulness and holiness and goodness. I tell you, dear friends, the Lord has been, been good and he's been holy and he's been faithful to you. Bible says that the great is thy faithfulness. It's the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. His compassions they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You'll remember whenever Paul was away down in Rome in a prison cell, he said, All men forsook me. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Whenever he comes out of heaven in Revelation chapter 19 upon a white steed, it says that his name is faithful and true. Now I want to ask you a question as I close. Are you faithful? Are you a faithful servant? Am I? It says of Moses that the Lord found him faithful in all of his house. You'll read about Antipas, the faithful martyr. Paul could say he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The faithfulness of God, oh, may we be faithful to him. May we be men and women that will be sold out to him. May we be men and women that untangle ourselves with all of the affairs of the world and sell ourselves out to him, lock, stock, and barrel. There's the goodness of the Lord. There's the faithfulness of the Lord. I tell you, there's the holiness of the Lord, and I haven't got time this morning. But Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, read it whenever you go home. Daniel got a vision of the Lord Jesus that was to come. And he saw him upon the throne and he said he, he has a dominion that is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. The Bible says that the scepter of his kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. He rules in power and authority. And let me tell you, dear friends, G8 or G7s, Boris Johnson over there in Russia, no matter who they are, thank God, the Lord is on the throne. He's on the throne. God is still on the throne. And he will remember his own. That's him this morning. Time has beaten me, but I wonder, do you love him? I wonder, is this the man that has got all of your attention, all of your attraction? I wonder, is this the man that is the central focal point of your life? Because whenever they saw him, then were they glad. And that's why we gather around the table on a Sunday morning to remember him, to remember the goodness of the Lord. To remember the faithfulness of the Lord that on the cross there he died for me. Shed his blood for me. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let the angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him. Lord of all, ye Gentile sinners ne'er forget the wormwood and the gall. Go spread thy trophies at his feet and crown him. Lord of all. Is it not about time he got the preeminence in your life, sir? 
Is it not about time, maybe, mother, you put your attention onto this man and you say, Lord, you've been good to me. You've blessed me. You found me a way out in the wilderness and you put your hand upon me and you found me. And I want to serve you, Lord, with all of my heart. And you look at his holiness and you say, Lord, may you give me that reverence and awe to fear that I would change my life to suit you, to live a life that's becoming of people of God, to see something there of the faithfulness times when we're back is against the wall and this, the, the devil stands to resist us. Thank God he steps in and rebukes the enemy. You see him in the little manger in Bethlehem. You see him there wrapped in swaddling clothes, just rags now, just bandages. I didn't have any clothes, just, just wrapped them in bandages, just rags. You see him there, the creator, as Mary and Joseph look into the eyes of the Son of God. You see him there as the shepherds come and say, who is this? You see him there working down in the carpenter's shop down in Nazareth. Thirty years, the silent years of the Savior. Do you see him there on the cross? Do you see him there, his visage so marred more than any man? And his far more than the sons of God? Do you see him there with the spittle coming down his cheeks? Do you see him there with the crown of thorns? Do you see him there when he said, they pierced my hands and my feet? See him there? Do you see him there as he lay in the grave? Do you see him there as he rolled the stone? Do you see him there on the first day of the week as he rose up from the grave? Do you see him there? Oh, let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Paul could say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Friend, how could you ever be ashamed of that man? How could you ever... How could you ever be ashamed of him? How could you ever shy away from telling men and women about him? How is it that he doesn't seem to have much love coming from many of our hearts this morning? How is it that many of us aren't taken up by him? How is it that many of you walk away from the table that he spreads? How is it that many of you this morning, whenever you go home, you'll maybe turn on the television and talk about work and the Lord's put to the back? I'll tell you, whenever he's in the center, whenever he's in the place of preeminence, you know what you'll have? You'll have blessing. You'll have the victory. You'll have revival in your soul. For in the presence of the Lord, there is joy. Joy of the Lord.